Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening to you all. This is the Business Day Spotlight, your destination for African business made simple. My name is Muriwa Gavaza, and for today, we do get into a discussion around uh, the property sector, uh, just to understand uh, you know, what's going on there. Uh, we tend to touch on this sector every once in a while, uh, just to see what's going on. I think the last discussion that was related uh, sort of uh, straddles the line between what's going on in property and what's going on in the tourism sector. Uh, we had a chat with uh, Airbnb, if I remember correctly, um, you know, a couple of a uh, couple of months ago. How are people putting their properties to work and actually trying to you know make some extra income um, from uh, their their residential properties? But for today, we're looking at the sector as a whole and uh, just seeing you know what's been going on. And to help us to unpack this, we are joined by uh, John Luce. Um, he is a property economist over at uh, FNB Commercial Property Finance. John, greetings to you this morning. I'm a diva. Now, thank you so much for being with us and just, you know, taking your time. And I think uh, we, we can't go too far without addressing uh, the 50 basis point uh, elephant in the room. And uh, that is interest rates uh, being at their highest, um, I think, since 2009, if uh, my memory serves correct. Um, just your your take on that uh, interest rate decision. Uh, surprising, not surprising, in line with your expectations. And uh, as someone who's looking at the property um, sector, what's your knee-jerk reaction? Well, I think um, our, our house view up until not so long ago was that rates wouldn't rise at this meeting yesterday, that they would remain unchanged and go sideways for the rest of the year. Um, that didn't materialize in recent days, recent weeks. The RAND has come under pressure. A few things have happened which just raise a few inflationary alarm bells from an, a Saab point of view. And so, you know, from our house view point of view, it was a little bit unexpected. I had thought yesterday that maybe a 25 basis points, 50 basis points seemed a bit severe. Now, um, I think that it's, you know, 50 basis points on its own is not severe, but you have to take it in the context of we've been hiking interest rates quite steadily since late 2001. Um, 475 basis points in total. In other words, not far short of five percentage points up. That starts to become quite severe. It becomes more severe when you take it that there's a few other headwinds as well. Heightened load shedding disrupts the economy since late last year. It's still with us ongoing and looks like it's going to be elevated load shedding for the foreseeable future. And then, of course, higher inflation, although the inflation rate is coming down now, but it's still higher from where it was. That eats into household disposable incomes, eats into business incomes. Uh, Inflation is never a good thing um, for for most people. And then, of course, the the world economy is slowed as well, and that affects our economy via trade. So there's a whole lot of headwinds at the same time, and that starts to make these interest rates hikes quite, quite severe. So for property... I think realistically, it's a credit, highly credit-driven market, whether it's commercial or residential. We've seen signs of slowing already, so I don't think this changes any trends. I think it's just more of the same. Commercial property sectors, all the major sectors are, are probably on, on a slowing path as we speak, um, and the residential market has been slowing down as well. So um, nothing it doesn't really tra- change the direction of things at the moment. Looks like a slower year generally for property this year. Uh, 
as well as for the economy in general. You know, there's so much, uh, you know, so much to unpack from that uh, um, interest rate decision. And I guess when you look at it within the context of the fact that um, the hiking cycle seems to still be the order of the day, particularly in economies like the U.S., uh, then it doesn't seem as if uh, this thing is going to go away anytime soon. Um, you know, right now, I think, um, you know, some of the consensus that uh, we had was that uh, we had possibly reached the top of the cycle and that maybe we were going to see 25, uh, 25 basis points and then you'll see like a, a long holding cycle, um, you know, maybe for the next six months and then maybe things will start, you know, coming down. But right now, I think all of the views that people have are being challenged uh, just by the reality, uh, what you call this, just the reality on the ground. Um, whenever we have interest rate um, discussions, particularly with people in property, uh, I, I think it always helps to, uh, what you call this, it always helps to contextualize for people because sometimes, especially on a consumer level, you hear that the interest rate has gone up and you know, you're like, okay. Yeah, but what does that mean for me? Uh, so maybe you could just give us just a quick example of someone who has a mortgage and what that possibly means for them yeah, when it comes to maybe maybe repayments, just so that we have that real-world example. Maybe I've got a million-rand house and I'm paying yeah. a bond of uh, 10000 What does it mean for me? Well, yeah, let's do a sort of quick, and I don't have tables and calculations in front of the executive <laughs> of your bond repayments. But let's let's take the last. So it's 475 basis points uh, on a one million rand bond. Let's just make it simple. You know, um, it, it rounded off to, to the nearest million. Um, four and four four point seven five five percentage points up would be an extra what uh, 40, uh, 47,500 per year. Is that right? Um, wow. Not getting it wrong. Am I? Yeah. You know, that's yeah, what yeah, it's. Yeah. That's what it is per year. Additional work, uh, repayments from from late 20, 2021 to now. That's what your annual, not your monthly, your annual sort of set of payments would have roughly been uh, risen by. That's a, that's that's quite a lot of money. So, um, and uh, you know, and I, and I think it's, but 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 that's not all. I think what people need to understand is it's not just the direct impact on your mortgage repayment. You also suffered from higher inflation. And a lot of us, our wage inflation is not keeping up with that higher inflation. So, um, you know, you're spending more food price inflation, particularly bad at the moment. Petrol price inflation has come off a bit. That was quite bad. So you, you've got these additional costs for other goods that, and, and services that eat into your um, disposable income just that much more. And it doesn't end there. Well, and then, of course, there's electricity costs as well, which are, are, are escalating and so on. Um, but it goes further. The economy is weakened. Um, for, for some people, unfortunately, they lose their income. They lose their jobs. Or if you're an entrepreneur, you lose part of your, your sales income. Um, and so you, you're having to do with less income in, for many people or even those people who don't lose their salaried income. Some, sometimes they're losing out on discretionary bonuses, uh, whatever it might be. So there's a lot of loss of income uh, along the way or lack of growth of income as well. As, as all these costs um, uh, escalate. So that's the full sort of broad impact of it. Um, so it becomes a significantly tougher financial time for a lot of people. 
No, it certainly does. And especially in an environment where ordinary South Africans are already under as much pressure as they are. And that in turn affecting businesses that need those consumers to be, um, you know, patronizing their businesses. It's 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 a tough cycle um, to find ourselves in. I was very interested, I think, yesterday um, after the interest rate decision came out, um, you did uh, pen, pen a piece um, saying that there would be limited um, impact in the commercial property sector, at least right now. Uh, but one of the things I'm always curious about is transmission of prices, right? From an interest rate level and an inflation level, um, you can have a decision today, but you only really feel the full effects of it maybe six months to a year down the line. Um, so I guess the question is, You've just contextualized for us now to say that we've been in this aggressive hiking cycle since uh, late 2021, and we've done, you know, 475 basis points up until this point. Um, has that has that been transmitted into the property sector? Has have the what you call this? Um, has it translated into a situation where? things have shifted from being a buyer's market as it was uh, during COVID-19 into a seller's market. Like what has been, you know, the effect of yeah. that? Are we, have we, have we seen the effect yet or are we still yet to see that effect uh, down the line? Yeah, we, I mean, we, we see part of the effect uh, for sure, but, um, but, but yes, the, the full impact of something like let's take an interest rate hiking cycle. Look, the property market has been correcting for quite a few years commercial and residential how it's been correcting is a lot of the time there's been some sort of capital growth price growth um but it's been one or two percent for instance if you look at the fnb house price index on the, on the residential side now that's two point something i seem to remember 2.8 the most recent index but it's somewhere thereabouts that's well below general inflation so that means that in real terms prices are correcting they're going down okay um, and that's how property markets often correct very slowly. Okay, so what happens, you know, let, let's just forget about COVID, that, that delta blow to the property market for a commercial for a bit. Um, the stagnation of the economy over the last decade has, has, has dealt some blows, but let's just take the interest rate hiking cycle. So that, that's, a, that's a negative from a property performance point of view. What tends to happen first with property is it become, is, is demand, the demand supply balance gets interrupted. Property is notoriously slow in terms of values correcting to the new equilibrium value. There's a very strong resistance to dropping values. Um, so, uh, owners of property, commercial and residential, do not like to do that. So you see a property valued at a certain value, you know, the office space, for instance, now there's a glut of office space. So you might see a certain valuation pinned on a, on a specific building but it's not going to sell at that value necessarily. Um, one or two properties do sell. So, so, so you move, you, 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 you dampen demand with interest rate hikes. And so, and then you, um, the, the demand curve um, you, shifts to the left. Okay, if you supply and demand curve, and, and there's an oversupply on the market. So theoretically now the prices should drop and in economics, one textbook, they'll, you know, just paints this picture of it just drops immediately and the new equilibrium is found at a new quantity that's traded. In property, that does not happen immediately. That happens over sometimes years, quite a number of years, where 
property valuations are said to be the same. There's a few properties that will be traded at that market valuation, which is not an equilibrium valuation, which is oversupplied. And that gets you told that in a price index that will be shown as the average value, but it's not an equilibrium value. And the market equilibrium is somewhere well below where, where you are at that present stage. So that's what initially happens. And then over years after that, the market becomes less oversupplied, maybe demand improves again, or maybe ultimately the valuations do drop to where the new equilibrium is found. But often, because of this resistance to dropping values, um, the values have to correct over a number of years in real terms. In other words, you use the inflation illusion. Um, owners think that their values are holding up or they, they refuse to drop their asking price on a residential property for a year or two or three if they're not in a hurry to sell. Um, ultimately, um, in real terms, that price actually did drop. Um, they just don't necessarily see it. And then in three years' time, they say, I got my price. You didn't get your price. In real terms, you didn't get your price. You got a price that was significantly lower. So um, that's, the, in, in a nutshell, the price of and values of property um, respond, they should drop now. They should drop to get to a new equilibrium, but they don't for a long, long time. The first step is the property market becomes oversupplied. Yeah, no, it's 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 quite a it's quite an interesting it's quite an interesting dynamic, um, you know, that's there. Uh, and as you were talking, I was literally visualizing that supply and demand curve in my head. And uh, the thing that came to my mind, if if an economics uh, if an economics one textbook is going to be believed, um, is the fact that this is a classic example of an inefficiency in the market, um, where yeah, oh, <laughs> where you have this uh, this gap. Um, and long lead time for a couple of years where you have resistant sellers, uh, but the market realities are saying that your price should be lower. And then over time, you know, the value of your money is coming down and, you know, all of that. So in real terms, um, you know, like you said, it becomes um, a tough discussion to have um, over time. And I think that leads us quite nicely to then ask the question to say, um, in your view right now, because... Um, we're talking as much as we're talking about interest rates, just looking at property as a whole. Um, where is the best place, you know, to be placing one's money at the moment? Um, you, uh, I think we can just start. We can start high and say you're a, you're a big property investor. Um, you've got quite a bit of cash on hand, and you're trying to decide: Do I put my money down into 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 residentials, you know, uh, residential properties, or do I put my money down on on the commercial side? It's a tough one, um, and I think with with investment, it has a lot to do with what you are comfortable with in terms of what you can manage. You know, so. Uh, for instance, there was one property investor, very seasoned property investor years ago, who said to me, John, the best investment ever was Hillbrow 1999. Okay. Now, that was at the, the Hillbrow's low. Hillbrow had, had really gone backwards. It had decayed terribly. It was in, in a terrible state and prices were rock bottom because interest rates had been sky high just before that in 1998. And you could get these properties for a song, um, buildings that you could buy. And he said he bought one and his net yield was something astronomical, like 25%. Um, and from that point of view, if you look at, you know, you've got to look at the yields on property if you're investing and 
And that's a fantastic sounding yield by today's standards, especially. But of course, you know, he did add the caveat that you need to know how to manage Hillbrow. You know, there's a certain way of managing it. There's a certain way of managing your building and your tenants and a way of operating there. And if you know how to do it, well, that's fine. But that's not everybody's cup of tea. Um, some people would probably have preferred at the time much lower yielding buildings, uh, you know, with, with a higher income tenant in Santon. Um, that's what they're comfortable with. So, so I think it's got a lot to do, property investments always got a lot to do with what you're, um, what you're comfortable with, what you're experienced at in terms of dealing with. Um, that's the one thing. But so, so it's, always, it's always tough to tell people you should invest here or you should invest best there. What are the best performing markets at the moment and, and likely to be the best performing for the, you know, in the, in the near term? Well, I think on the commercial side, it's still going to be more the industrial and warehousing space. It's got headwinds. It's also slowing. It's got headwinds. Manufacturing is not performing so well. But on the warehousing and logistics side, they've had a boost from this shift to greater online retail and so on and, and using these big warehousing or logistics hubs. Um, so that that part of the property market has been performing quite nicely and will probably outperform retail and, and office and hotels and so on for the foreseeable future. Um, I think that's where that, that, that's the outperform on the residential side. If you look at classes of outperformance, it's probably, um, you know, if, you, if you're into rental stock, I think it's probably the sweet spot will remain somewhere between seven and 12,000 per month rentals. The lowest income groups take the biggest strain in this economic environment and, and the highest um, ten, um, income tenants in the 25,000 plus, according to TPN, also don't always perform that well. So it's sort of somewhere in that middle. Um, but but if you but I think it's off, I think at the moment it's better to talk about regions as well. I think we've got to look at regions and not so much at property class. And there's a big search on now for places that work. As a lot of municipalities deteriorate and have been deteriorating, uh, so it becomes more crucial for businesses and individuals alike to look for places and to re often relocate even to, to places, councils, whatever it might be that work. Um, in Gauteng, that rating that came out a few days ago of municipalities rates Midval municipality, the top one in Gauteng. In the Western Cape, it's that Soldana, the, the West, I think it's called the West Coast municipality, somewhere up there. But a lot of the well-run municipalities in recent years or for quite some time have been in, in the Western Cape province. So we've seen this emigration to the Western Cape um, of individuals, um, all, all income groups, but specifically it's high-income individuals and highly skilled individuals that drive economic growth and performance. Skills in a modern economy drive growth and job creation and all that ultimately. So... So the Western Cape has been benefiting from that strong net inflow. It's been retaining its skills and, and affluence better and attracting relative to size better than Gauteng or KZN or anybody else has been doing. And I think it's got to a point now where that leads to a superior economic performance in that region to the rest of the country. That's what we're going to see. We're also seeing some business emigration to there as well as businesses also look for places that work better councils, services, possibly even electricity of City of Cape Town's plans to mitigate the load shedding come off. So um, that's the region, I think, the big region that starts to outperform. Um, and, and I think it started already and will, for the foreseeable future, outperform economically 
and therefore you'll see its property markets in general, office, industrial, retail, residential, outperforming the rest of the country um, for the foreseeable future. That's that's how I see it at the moment, with the search on for for location being more and more important. It is uh, what you call this. Uh, it's it's really been you know fascinating to see um, how all of these trends have developed over time. And like you said, um, what then hap- what happens in the pro- in the property sector becomes a byproduct of what we're seeing in the wider economy. Um, and especially if one thinks about uh, the COVID trends. Um, last week we had a session with Liberty um, talking about the insurance claims and one of the things they were flagging is to say guys COVID-19 is done but from a health and claims point of view we're still seeing some of the you know byproducts of that it might not be a COVID um, claim but um, there are certain conditions health-wise that have popped up in people because of um, COVID-19 and I think um, we can draw a lot of parallels in other what you call this in other sectors, and I think what you the example that you've just given is one of those things to say um, we we often spoke about what's going to be the new normal, right? And you know right now semigration. I, I think in 2018 or 2019, if you ask someone what is immigration, uh, you know, they might scratch their heads just a little bit before um, actually coming up with an answer. But now we inherently understand, oh, people are now people now have a little bit more flexibility. Um, you can actually choose a little bit better where you want to go. So people are literally looking at what's cheaper what's more affordable and you know actually doing that and that then has uh, an impact quite a bit on uh, what happens in the property sector it has been a really fascinating one uh, john and i think just uh, the last piece um that we you know just uh, that we can get from you is uh, simply to say from a lender's point of view because we've spoken about commercial we've spoken about residential which means we've attacked the business we've attacked the consumer uh but fnb is a lender um not necessarily the house view uh but maybe just an over um, an overview of uh, as lenders you know to say how do you even respond to an environment like the one that we're in and i'm asking that question because you spoke about how property owners tend uh, tend to resist let's say dropping prices for example um as lenders you know, does does an economic situation like the one that we're in maybe prompt, maybe either relaxing or even a tightening of, uh, you know, some of the ways in which um, um, finance is extended to people in the in the sector? Yeah. So I'll make it quite clear. I'm not going to talk on behalf of our heads of credit at, at, uh, at, at FNB. I'm going to talk about I'm going to talk about my perceptions for the market as a whole. Uh, the one on the residential side, for instance, You've got Uber, the, the mortgage originators, who do publish industry-wide data. So it's in the public domain. As yet, you you still see on the residential side, and I think the commercial is probably by and large the same in the industry, that banks have not tightened significantly on their credit appetites or you know pricing or any such thing. Certainly, that's what comes through out of the Uber data is that pricing is still very, the discount below prime hasn't moved up or you know hasn't tightened. The, the effective approval rate is somewhere above 80%, which is still very high. After the global financial crisis, they tightened up radically as the bad debts just came piling up. 
and they went down to 50-something percent. So, so not a noticeable tightening from, from Uber data either. And I think the reason for that is that, as yet, the banking sector hasn't had a pile of bad mortgage debt yet. After the, or during the global financial crisis, if you look at the NCR data, I think the non-performing loans, which is 90-day plus in arrears on, on residential property, went up to not far short of 10% of, of total loans. Um, now, at the moment, in the most recent NCR data, it's still down at about 4%. It's risen gradually from a few years ago, 3% to roughly 4%. So it has been tending upwards even before interest rate hiking. Probably start to accelerate a little bit. But um, if you don't get too much mortgage debt pain, you don't get too much tightening of appetite, you know, knee-jerk response like you did in the global financial crisis. And so I think realistically, I think the banking sector as a whole might you know, tighten its appetite in the near term somewhat. But uh, but I don't think it'll be a big knee-jerk reaction because I don't get the sense that we, we're being flooded with bad debts. You know, there was a housing bubble. There was a big, and even the, the, the commercial side got a bit over-exuberant, but especially on the housing side, pre-global financial crisis, pre-2008, there was, there was a lot of high-risk lending. Um, a lot of that hasn't come back to the market since since everybody cleaned up their lending after after the crisis. So it's been fairly good quality of lending, I think, for the industry as a whole. And therefore, you don't get this mountain of bad debt. And therefore, you don't get this serious knee-jerk response in terms of tightening credit appetite. That's my perception for the for the industry as a whole. But as I said, I'm not going to talk on behalf of FNB in that regard that, you know, each bank must do their, they must say what they, <laughs> they must tell, tell their own story. Yeah. No, most certainly. Uh, it is an interesting one and uh, we'll be watching and monitoring that situation. At least we can see that, uh, you know, there hasn't been too much tightening from the industry. Um, and, you know, we wait to see, you know, is there a breaking point that comes, um, you know, later on down the line? Because as much as we're talking about transmission and uh, of prices and the full effects, um, you know, when does, you know, the, the, the when do lenders reach their breaking point? When to do, you know, um, because we spoke about when do the uh, the property owners reach their own breaking point, and I think con- consumers have reached a breaking point. So it will be an interesting one to um, sit and to observe. So that's been it. We were in discussion with uh, John Luce, who is a property economist um, over at uh, FNB, giving us some insight um, into what's uh, what's going on, um, um, what's going on in the property sector, especially on the back of um, the most recent uh, 50 basis point interest rate hike uh, that was announced on uh, Thursday. We are recording this on the 26th of May, uh, which means that interest rate decision happened um, yesterday. And uh, just getting that uh, that practical uh, worldview. I think for me, what stuck out you we and i and i like the and i like the example he gave very simplified example but i think it uh, it solidified at least in my head um why some of these interest rate discussions are very important if you are uh, if you've got a million rand house and you have an increase of 475 basis points or 4.75 percent um you know over time it means that your costs have risen by about 47,500 rand. Obviously, we've put it in very simplified terms, uh, right? But I think it helps to p- make people understand what all of that means. So that's been it. John, thank you so much for being with us today. It's a pleasure.
And that's been it for this edition of the Business Day Spotlight. Remember that you can find our latest podcast on Business Live. That's under the podcast Business Day Spotlight tab on Twitter. We're hashtag BD Spotlight. And remember that you can review and subscribe for free on iono.fm, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Pocket Casts, or wherever you choose to get your pods casted. I've been Mudio Gavaza of the Business Day and Financial Mail. And this has been another edition of the Business Day Spotlight, which is a multimedia live production. So from us, and the rest of the team. It is a good evening, good afternoon, and good morning.